Well, it's just a little expense. You know, maybe we'll just go out for ice cream. Just this one time. You know, because we deserve it. Those splurges... On today's show, we'll find out that those might be costing you a lot more than you think. On today's Money with Friends. Welcome to Money with Friends, coming to you live from Detroit, Michigan, where we make the Stacky Benjamin Show. I'm Joe Saul Cihai. And I'm Lynette Kalpani-Cox, the money coach from Houston, Texas. And together, Lynette and I are going to go over a recent financial headline. Today's from CNBC.com. And we'll discuss it with you, our friends, and a thought leader. That's Lynette. We not only read the piece like some shows, but we discuss it and give you some takeaways in just over 15 minutes, Monday through Saturday. Today's show is brought to you by M1 Finance, smart money management, take control and personalize, personalize, you can tell we do this live, your finances, invest, borrow, and spend seamlessly seamlessly all in one platform. You work hard for your money, so your money should work hard for you. M, the number one finance. Head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash M1 finance for more. Lynette Kofani-Cox back with a second day in a row. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. And it's great to be back because this topic is a really good one because so many people, I'm sure, you know, don't realize what they're doing to their finances because of this. <laughs> it's it's so. just this one time and we just deserve it, Lynette. Totally. We're going to we're going to dive into it here in just a second. But let's see which friend of ours is going to kick off today's show. This is Scott from the Inspired Stewardship Podcast. The money talking party starts now. It's time for money with friends. This piece is uh, is from CNBC.com, as I referenced earlier. It's written by Sarah O'Brien, and the headline is, Those Weekly Spurges Cost, drumroll, $7,400 extra annually. Ouch. Here are the biggest budget busters. Uh, Sarah writes, Sticking to a household budget is apparently difficult, as in really difficult, with 74% of people saying that they have some sort of budget, 79% don't stick to it. According to new research from SlickDeals.net, a crowdsourced shopping platform, the average weekly amount consumers spend, not counting bills such as mortgage or rent, utilities, etc., is $340 or $143 more than the average $197 budgeted. That equals overspending by about $7,400 each year. Uh, the struggle with overspending exists regardless of how much people earn, said certified financial planner Josh Nelson, founder and CEO of Keystone Financial Services in Loveland, Colorado. I've heard, I don't know where all the money goes, from people who make a gazillion dollars and from poor college students and everyone in between. The survey conducted in August asked 2,000 adults about their budgeting habits and weekly spending, topping the list of categories where respondents overspend is online shopping, followed by grocery shopping and subscription services. And yes, overindulging in coffee ranks in the top 10. Consumer debt has continued to climb, reaching nearly $13.9 billion in the second quarter of 2019, according to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. Credit card debt comprises roughly a trillion dollars of that. Separate data from Compare.com comparecards.com show that just 38% of cardholders are, quote, very confident that they can pay their monthly balances in full. If you're, if going over your budget is causing credit card debt to pile up or it's standing in the way of your ability to reach other goals, 
there are some ways that you can rein yourself in financial advisors say. Yeah, it says for starters, make sure your budget's realistic. Do you? It, it's it's funny because Lynette, I, I guess just to kick off this conversation, I kind of get I get overspending on groceries because of the fact that that is you know impulse buys, right? Uh, so I get that, or maybe the price went up on something. I understand that. I also get the trip out for coffee. Uh, and I get the online shopping. I see it. It's in front of me right now. It's on sale. So I just go buy it. Subscription services though, like when we subscribe, the fact that we don't seem to know how much we spend every month in subscriptions, that's the one that gets me. You know, that doesn't get me at all because Joe, oh my God, we're like in a subscription-based economy now. (laughs) I mean, so many people, they're not tracking, they're not keeping tabs. And the subscription-based model that so many um, companies are employing from software retailers to subscription box services for food, for clothes, for cosmetics and supplies, for every little thing, this is part of what feeds people's kind of overspending and Um, having a misalignment in their budget because it's only a little number. So you're thinking, oh, you know, it's it's my Netflix subscription or it's, you know, it's five or ten dollars a month for X, Y or Z that you're paying for. But then you don't realize there's like twenty five subscriptions that you might have if you really started to track it, because I'm telling you and I sit down and do people's budgets with them. They have a crazy number of subscriptions. Half the time, they don't even know they've forgotten about it or they're no longer even using the product or service, you know, that they're still paying for, especially when it comes to, you know, digital products, things that they might have, you know, wanted to read and subscribe to, stuff like that. Do you like these? There are now these companies um, like Trim. Sure. Uh, yeah, Bill yeah, Shark. For you and try to tell you, cut out these subscriptions. Yeah. Do you like those? I do, actually. I've referred many people to them because the average person, again, either is too busy, kind of overworked, and just hasn't um, kind of pulled it all together to track. So Trim, and there's another one, um, I forget the the name, but they'll sort of do it for you. Um, It's free for them to just kind of say, listen, we see these recurring expenses, so we know that this is a, a subscription service, and if you want to get rid of that, here, we'll just cancel it for you. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's great. The um, these these are the top ten budget killers: uh, online shopping number one, grocery shopping number two, subscription services number three, as we talked about. But then number four is technology products. Is that because you know I just I just upgraded the iPhone eight? We were talking about that before we pressed record today. Um, yeah. Is it because phones are now costing more than we thought, or what do you think that's all about? I think it's you know definitely a function of inflation on the price front that you know stuff costs more than it did in, in years past. But I think that there's just so many more gadgets as well. You have the device to, you know, look outside your front door and to see like who's ringing the bell. You have the device to close your garage. You have your, you know, voice assisted devices to say, you know, Hey, okay, Google or, you know, Alexa, you know, turn on my lights or, you know, place an order for me or whatever. You have your cell phone, you got your tablets. So there's just so much more that we're all, you know, becoming increasingly accustomed to and dare I say, dependent and reliant upon. So now people feel like I can't do without that. You know, like I, yeah. I need that. It becomes 
you know, not just, oh, like this is a nice, cool, you know, gadget that's a, you know, would be a fun thing to have, but to like, I really need my, you know, voice assistant device, or I need the latest phone that can shoot great video for me. And, you know, and also, you know, let me text and talk and do everything else my phone is going to do. Uh, uh, two that are on this list, I think, are two that we could easily do something about. I'm looking at buying lunch every day and food delivery. Like food delivery didn't even exist besides pizza delivery. What? It's, it's early two years ago for most of the nation. And now it seems like everybody I know is addicted to, I can't go out and get my food. I have to have somebody bring it to me. And I have to confess, I'm one of them. <laughs> um, I don't do it all the time, but we definitely have used those food delivery services. Now, think about, you know, they captured this in the survey, these 10 budget killers. But what do they mean? Do they mean something like shipped, which is, for example, something that I've used? We place our grocery order, you know, put our, you know, 40 or 50 things they you charge a you get charged a fee, but then I'm like, okay, I'm buying my time back basically. I don't have to go into the grocery store. So I make a trade-off, a calculated trade-off, and I say, okay, it's worth it to me. But what else do they mean by food delivery? Are they saying like Uber Eats or just other things that people are getting food brought to them? And so the category sort of becomes broad. Do they mean those again food subscription type services? Yeah. I know they have a separate category on subscriptions, but it may be, you know, combining all of the convenience factors that, you know, so many Americans, we've all kind of, again, over time, you know, it's, it, it creeps up on you, you know, and you start to become reliant on that stuff. And, and, and I think for busy people, some of these grocery delivery services like Instacart, I mean, those can be good things if you're using the money to go make more money or the time to go make more money. But, but, but the, the, the Uber Eats part, I think, is where people get into trouble. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, when you look at trade-offs, sure, you know, kind of a little opportunity cost, like, okay, I could go and grocery shop for an hour or I could help run my business or even just if I'm working for somebody else, I could work for an hour and make more money. And so, yeah, you might say, I'll do that because it's more cost effective. It's actually financially advantageous for me to just, you know, work instead of go spend an hour or whatever shopping. Yeah. But yeah, after a while you have to think like, Okay, am I being lazy? <laughs> Let's be honest, you know, uh, like every lunch, every day, am I getting, you know, Uber Eats or something? Now it's like, I just don't want to cook or I don't really feel like going out, you know. Then you have to really evaluate the behavior of kind of what's driving it to say, like, is this really financially wise or not? It, it, it reminds me too of a comedian who I think it's uh, Brian Regan who talks about on Pop-Tarts, they talk about how long it takes to toast a Pop-Tart. If you want it quicker, that you could microwave it. And, <laughs> it. and he's like, if you get to the point of your life where you need to microwave your Pop-Tart, you might yeah. have a problem with your schedule. Like you yeah, might need, just slow down a little bit. <laughs> might, might possibly need it. Did any of these on here uh, really speak to you? Like, like things that people can really clean up when you look at these top 10 budget killers? Well, so uh, you saw in the article, they said, and yes, coffee was one of them, right? Yeah. So, you know, 32% were in that category in terms of saying coffee. And I was kind of thinking about that because like my husband is a big coffee drinker. Uh, I'm not, I don't drink coffee at all. Oh, you Um, don't know what you're missing out on. You've got no idea. (laughs) I know. Um, Actually, he recently... He, he always drinks his coffee just black, like just, you know, 
even if he goes up to a restaurant or something, it's just black. And they're always like, no milk, no cream. He's like, nope, just black. Um, but he actually bought some other thing recently that has like a little um, amaretto taste to it. And has it's, it, I don't know if it has milk in it or whatever. And I was like, oh my God, I tried it. And I was like, this is good. I literally stepped back and said, I don't want to, I don't want to drink this anymore because then I will you know, start <laughs> liking it. But long story short, what I was going to say is that I do think that some things that um, feed our addictions, you know, it's worth kind of tempering and just kind of being cognizant of that. Right. So um, nobody's going to say like that you don't need to um, get food. Nobody, you know, because obviously we, we all have to eat and stuff like that. But I do think at a certain level, you have to think about, am I doing this out of habit or out of addiction? Because you can have financial addictions. You can have obviously, you can have all kinds of addictions. But I do think that sometimes things that we're addicted to, we don't realize how much it impacts and controls our spending. So I tell people, you know, think about the people, places and products in your life and how that might cause you to spend money or to not reach your financial goals. And so the people, that's one, you know, category in of itself, but even products. So some people, are, they, they actually want to um, break habits that they feel are unhealthy. But again, if you're constantly overspending like this one was showing, then it might be something you just want to consider. We, um, we do this live in front of a Facebook audience. Shell's with us. Tiara's with us. Uh, Amy says, you hear so much. I need that. I deserve that. And I think there's, I, I think there's, there's um, a good point. I don't remember who I first heard this from, but, but one thing I've heard a lot of financial experts say, Lynette, and you probably have too, that, you know, like that sweater, that thing we want right now is right in front of us and we see the deal but we very rarely have those long-term goals in front of us. So if I've got the sweater right now that costs me, let's say, 50 bucks, versus $50 toward my retirement, and what's that $50 going to do you know, in terms of my financial independence, we, we don't often weigh the long-term goal enough because we don't keep it close enough to us. Right. And it's hard to do this. I mean, kind of, let's be honest about it, you know. This is one of the reasons why a lot of folks struggle with, say, stocking, you know, stashing away retirement savings and saving for future or long term goals. The immediacy factor tends to dominate. Right. The things that seem more urgent, you, you kind of feel like um, I'm putting out a financial fire today. So let me handle this. And right. even if the financial fire is desire, like <laughs> your own appetite, the something that you want that's staring you in the face, you know, right here and now. You're confronting those, you're a human being, and you're just dealing with, you know, today's desires because you're like five years, 20 years from now, that's another, you know, I'll kind of worry about that later. That's, you know, so-called thinking goes. Well, and that's why I like later down in, in, in the article, one piece of advice that they have, which I really like. I like the ones we shared earlier, uh, but I also like this. If, if online shopping, which is number one, is your addiction, leave it in your cart for 24 hours. I really, I've done that before and I come back the next day. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I need that as bad as I thought. Yeah. The 24 hour rule. It's a great uh, strategy because it gives you an emotional cooling off period. You know, sometimes when you see something, you're like, oh, this is so cute. This is nice. Or, oh, I want it. It's is cool. But then you're kind of hot and heavy for it in the moment. 
But if you literally just kind of like walk away or even yes. just leave it in the cart, um, like the advice they recommended, you'll find that the next day you're like, ah, I'm not really, I, I can do without it. You know, and that in and of itself is a good way to kind of step down and, and you know, not uh, overspend. Well, and there's something else too there, which is the flip side of what you're talking about, not overspending. If I do decide to buy it, I've found that with the 24-hour rule, I don't feel the guilt like I do if I just press it right away. Like if, if 24 hours, I still think it's phenomenal and I still want it and I buy it, I, I'm, not, I'm not beating myself up about it, which I think a lot of us have a lot of this. Well, you coach people all the time. Um, people have a lot of negative self-talk about their money habits. Yeah, and you're right because – the reason you probably would not feel guilt at all or just, you know, be OK with the purchase is that you've taken the time to like evaluate it and to kind of think it through. And you said, you know what, it's, I, I'm going to say that this is worth it for me. And so there's less judgment around it. There's less sense that, oh, I just, you know, bought this on impulse. And so you, you rightfully should feel that way. Uh, in just a second, Lynette and I will have our big takeaway from this piece. And I know you're excited to hear what Lynette has to say about that. Cause she, if it's anything like yesterday's, it's going to be way better than mine. So we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll have that in just a second. But first I want to talk just a little bit about, about our sponsor for today's show, M1 Finance. I really like M1 Finance because as a former financial planner, I really like the fact that when you invest, you're investing in a pie of investments instead of just picking individual stocks or individual exchange traded funds. So many people get into the hot thing. And if you know about investing, you know it's less about the hot thing and more about having a good asset allocation or having good diversification. And if you're not sure how to diversify your own portfolio, M1 Finance comes with a bunch of uh, pre-designed portfolios all based on modern portfolio theory. Not my favorite way to invest. I prefer that you start with your goal and then work backwards. But you know what? I don't want to make, as mom says, perfect the enemy of good. So at the very least, you can get started and then work on your financial plan later. And M1 Finance is a great way to do that. And guess what? Those trades, they are free. So head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash M, the number one finance. That's stackybenjamins.com forward slash M1 finance for more on them. And if you use our link, uh, that's how we keep podcasting because they, they give us a thank you for sending you their way. All right, Lynette, it is, I've got goosebumps. I got to tell you, as I wait for the big takeaway, what is your takeaway about this piece on splurging? So I guess my big takeaway is that, you know, people should recognize that a budget is not a financial straitjacket and that you don't have to feel like I'm going to be depriving myself so the strategy here is kind of twofold. Um, and this might be a little shocking to some people, but it's I actually think that you should allow yourself some level of indulgence and then properly allocate the expenses for what you actually plan or intend to spend on. So to me, I think the number one rule of budgeting is don't spend more than you earn. But at the same time, I think the second best rule to follow in a budget is give yourself license to spend on what you truly value. So if you looked at this list, for example, and you saw out of the you know 10 things that they cited, online shopping and subscriptions and tech products and so forth and so on, and you're like, yeah, 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 but that's not me. And I'm not, that's not my thing, or I'm not going to indulge in that. But yes, coffee is my thing. Then I'm going to say, you know what? Okay. 
go ahead and have your cup of joe. You know, just drink that java to your heart's content and actually plan for it and include it in the budget. Because really, in the long run, financial deprivation is not sustainable. I mean, the human beings just rebel and get to a point of frugal fatigue. So you have to pick and choose. You know, nobody has an unlimited source of funds. So you have to say, what am I actually willing to spend money on? Even if it's, it may not quote unquote make economic sense for me to spend, you know, $50 a month on coffee. But you know what? If that coffee is actually making you happy, then you have to just make the evaluation and the judgment that some other things will go by the wayside. So I think it's really kind of about balance and recognizing like, look, I'm a human being and I'm not going to completely deprive myself. This I'm going to be willing to splurge on, but I'm not going to wreck my budget by splurging on 17 other things as well. So what has to go? And it kind of boils down to that. <laughs> so no, I, it's, it's funny because, uh, I, I, I like your takeaway so much that rather than have my own, I'd like to, I'd like to just talk for a second about yours is that when, when I used to help people with their budgets, I would find that everybody's grasping at the leaves of the problem instead of the root. And, and, and what would happen is, and people get so excited with their budget at first, you know, they're working with the financial planner. They think it's fun. Hey, let's get this. And then they would starve themselves to death and what would end up happening is they'd you know they do great for a month and then they go buy a big screen tv to celebrate and wreck everything exactly and, and so and give, because they've been you know living in a state of financial deprivation yeah. and or, or even a self-imposed one and they think like okay this is the way to budget and really that's not it's really about creating a financial plan through which you can actually live the life you want to live and so it doesn't mean like, I, you know, people think a budget is what I can't buy, what I can't do, what I can't have. And it's really the opposite. It's about choosing what you can have, what you can do, what you can buy. But it's all within reason. Again, nobody has unlimited resources. So you have to choose like based on my values, based on what makes me happy, what's most important. And then you prioritize based on that. So if that coffee is what's important to you or having a new tech product or whatever, fine, go ahead. I say have it just included in the budget. And then that means something else cannot be included in the budget. And that's the way you kind of keep things in alignment. Yeah. there And there's so many, I mean, just to make this even just a little more philosophical, I mean, a lot of people, when they deprive themselves, it's because they're depriving themselves for a future, but we have to remember that future might never come. Like it might never be there. So enjoying it along the way, I think it's a huge part of, of the win. Like en wow. enjoying the path out of debt is you've seen this before you help people get out of debt and then they finally get out of debt and you can see the, the air is out of the tires. All of a sudden they went from motivated and excited to what the hell's my life about. And you don't want that to happen. Yeah. It's kind of like now what, or is this it? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully they get to the point where they're like, oh, great. You know, one goal accomplished. Let me see where what's next in terms of progress. Oh, how much can I save now? Or where should I start investing? Or how can I plan for wealth building or, you know, something um, incremental. Right. But you're right that so much, you know, energy has been you know, put towards vanquishing that, that monster, the debt monster. They're like, ooh, they're whipped sometimes or they kind of like feel a, a little adrift. And not know like okay, but what do I do now? <laughs> kind of thing. So I got to tell but you, that's why we have you know folks like us, you know, money nerds like to talk about this stuff and who want to keep saying 
okay, here's what's next. Now we do this. <laughs> well, well, and, and, and more you than me now. I just make podcasts. You're you're the pro here. You're dispensing the great advice and sharing with you know guests and others, and and even sharing your expertise and your background. All of that stuff is, is still, still, you know, super helpful. People are, you know, listening to you and getting all these great nuggets and hopefully applying them, you know, in their lives. So. I just do it so I can hang out with you, Lynette. That's the whole, <laughs> that's the whole goal. Yesterday we talked about, by the way, if there's any way to make a guy feel bad, it's when we mentioned that Lynette has written 15 books and I've written none. So that's, <laughs> that's number one. But we talked about your books yesterday. You can find them anywhere. Go to the library, check them out at askthemoneycoach.com. But let's talk about the site and actually what goes on at askthemoneycoach.com. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So askthemoneycoach.com is my free financial advice site. So we have about 1,600 plus articles on there covering 26 categories of personal finances. So, you know, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, I write a lot. Um, And you mentioned the books. Don't be, you know, so impressed. It was just like I actually went to school for this. So I, you know, my master's degree was in journalism um, and I worked in media, obviously, for, for many years, Wall Street Journal, CNBC, et cetera. So sometimes people go, how did you write so many books? And I'm like, well, I do have a degree in that. I did do this professionally for so many years. So that's just background and training, but also obviously my own you know, personal interest and, and passion for personal finances. But um, the thing I like about AskTheMoneyCoach.com is that I hope that people can go there And if they have any money quandaries, anything that they want to learn about, whether it's paying off student loan debt or real estate investing or saving or, you know, questions about how they should handle their 401k, I hope that they can type it in. Just ask the question and see what pops up, because um, there are a ton of articles and I've tried to cover so many topics over the years um, and also to do it um, not just in written format for articles and blog posts, but in video-based content as well. So there's videos up there, but we also launched a separate platform, uh, Money Coach University, um, which has exclusively video-based content as well, kind of sharing some of the same things. But as you know, some people like to just, you know, look at you or listen more and, um, and have a different way to learn. So those two platforms are the way in which we kind of teach and, and, you know, spread what we call the gospel of, of personal finances. I wish you had something going on. I wish you were at all busy. It <laughs> feels like bit. you're sitting around with your feet up. By the way, uh, for all of Lynette's links, head to uh, our page, which is uh, moneywithfriendspodcast.com, and you'll get that. You'll also get when Lynette's going to be on with us again next time. So on behalf of Lynette, I'm Joe Saul. See hi. We'll see you guys back here next time at Money With Friends. Bye-bye. This show is created and hosted by Joe Saul Cihai and Bobby Rebel, and is a joint venture of BRK Media LLC and Stacking Benjamins LLC, copyright 2019. Our engineer is Caden Thompson, and for a list of our friends who appear on the podcast, head to our website, moneywithfriendspodcast.com. You can also check out our schedule for upcoming recording sessions so you can join us and be part of the show. As with anything, remember you shouldn't take advice from any of us or any other video or podcast without first talking to your financial advisor and that the people in this episode are here for your and their entertainment purposes only. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and we'll see you back here next time with a real episode of 
Money with Friends.